You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. I can't believe it is almost the end of the year and Christmas is very fastly approaching upon us. And again, it's very good to be back. And uh, again, my wife did want to come, but her Nana had... uh, breast cancer surgery very recently that actually got moved earlier. So the reason why she's not here again this time is because of some family uh, health issues. And I would just ask if you guys are uh, praying for our family, just to pray for our grandparents, because they're not doing very well. And my grandpa's been in the hospital for the last two weeks, and uh, we think he'll need uh, some some full-time care moving on from here on out. So I'm coming to you this morning a little honest, just very tired and uh, just finishing up the end of the year here, but still very joyful because we get to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it's the Christmas season. We're talking about the Messiah. We're talking about God's chosen one. We're talking about our King, our Savior, Jesus. We're talking about Emmanuel, God with us. And we're reading from the extremely famous passage in Isaiah chapter 7. We know in chapter 7, verse 14, we hear of the prophecy of the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we know that in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew in chapter 1, verse 22, records this prophecy and this passage from Isaiah to tell, and to, uh, to tell Joseph about this miraculous virgin birth and that this uh, Jesus, the Son of God, is Emmanuel, who is God with us. So we're going to look into Isaiah this morning as we prepare for Christmas and the Christmas season. We're going to look at the specific context where this prophecy came from. We're going to try to appreciate how it came from and how God ultimately was so graceful, so, so incredibly graceful especially to a faithless king, Ahaz. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, is a very long book, as you know, filled with prophecies about Jesus, about God's chosen one. It talks a lot about God's sovereignty and his redemption for not only Israel and Judah, but for all of the nations. It has a lot of condemnation as well on Judah and Israel for not following and not trusting God, as is a classic message from the prophets of the Old Testament. But again, ultimately, Isaiah does talk about, through this chosen one, the ultimate hope and restoration of Israel and the nations. So in the deeper context, we're going to explore where the prophecy from chapter 7, verse 14 came from today in the time that Isaiah delivered it. So I want you to rewind your clocks back 2,700 years ago, around the 730s BC, when King Ahaz was king of Judah. At the time... Assyria, way up in the north of Judah, was gaining great power and causing all the other nations around it to be scared of its mighty power. And so the king of Syria, King Rezin, and the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, right? King of Israel, King Pekah, started plotting against Judah, made an alliance and said, hey, let's go down, let's invade, let's take Judah, then we'll stand a better chance of facing the impending doom of the king of Syria. And so King Ahaz hears word that King Syria, uh, King Rezin of Syria and King Pekah of the northern kingdom of Israel wanted to come and invade Judah. So he was terrified, absolutely terrified. And at the beginning of chapter 7 of Isaiah, we hear that Isaiah gets a word from God to go to King Ahaz and tell him 
Do not worry, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. You will not be invaded. But then he ends in verse 9 and says, If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So King Ahaz is facing the threat of impending invasion, both from the northern kingdom of Israel, which is a big insult to the face, right? Because they were brothers, you know. They followed God, but still, oh, they didn't follow God. That's why they split, and that's why they're in so much trouble. And also the king of Syria coming down to invade them. So King Ahaz is freaking out. God sends... Uh, Isaiah to tell King Ahaz not to worry, it shall not pass, they will not be invaded, but to have faith. If, you are, if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. This is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9. So Ahaz, unfortunately, does not believe in God and does not trust in God's promise. And we know that ultimately he makes a very fatal and grave mistake. But what we see here is a classic case of God more than willing to save his people, an undeserving people, and all they have to do is trust him, to remain faithful in him, and to trust what God says. But we still, we see Ahaz's reluctance. When God promises salvation, and when God promises deliverance, ultimately through Jesus, of course, but also in the Old Testament when he promised deliverance for his people, it was never to be taken lightly. And yet, most of the time, it was met with unbelief. And it was met with skepticism, and it was met with fear. When God promises deliverance, and when God promises salvation, it's to give us hope, it's to give us a chance to trust in God, and in so doing, receive His actual deliverance, and also His grace in His peace. We know that God promised the ultimate deliverance through Jesus, that Jesus, the chosen one, the Messiah, would be the one to reconcile Israel and everyone else who believes and repents in him back to God. That is the ultimate promise. That is the ultimate gift of God to us. That is God's grace to us, a Savior being born of a virgin and being the sign of the true deliverance and the actual embodiment of God's grace and deliverance and mercy. So in our passage, we see Isaiah deliver this prophecy of grace. It's a prophecy of grace. It's a prophecy where God will deliver and save his people. He gives this prophecy of grace and deliverance and a sign of salvation to a faithless King Ahaz. But as Christians today, we can take hope in the fact that God's ultimate promise, which is Jesus, God's ultimate promise is guaranteed grace. What we're going to look in the passage today, we're going to see that Ahaz was very rejectful of God's promise. But even still, even still in the face of rejection, God fulfilled his promise through Jesus. And Jesus is the embodiment of the guarantee of God's grace in every single situation that we face. And every time we trust in Jesus, no matter what our situation is, and unlike the faithless King Ahaz, when we put our trust and faith in the God who saves, and in the God who delivers, in the God who is merciful and unconditional and gave himself for us, we can be delivered we can have peace, and we can have hope always. And this is what we're celebrating this season in Christmas, right? Not the gifts, not the, just the family time, but ultimately that God fulfills his promises and that God guarantees his grace because of Jesus. God calls us to trust him. If we want to experience his grace and his deliverance, trust him. That is always the call. That is the call of most of the Old Testament. That is the call of the New Testament. In the Bible, we are called to know God's glory, to trust him, to savor him, to be filled with his joy and mercy when we come in repentance and faith. When we look at the gospel, we see 
the faith and guaranteed grace of God. And when we read our passage today, you will see the gospel again. So, in our passage, we know that Ahaz and the kingdom of Judah are given a chance to trust God and to witness salvation from, in their immediate context, impending invasion from the king of Syria and the king of Israel. King Ahaz and Judah are called to trust in God's ultimate promise and in doing so receive grace. And Isaiah tells them of a child that will be born under miraculous circumstances. It will be called Emmanuel. It will be called God with us. It is grace because it is undeserved favor and kindness. Grace from God is what keeps us afloat during difficulty. And grace from God is what covers our mistakes because of his forgiveness for us. And grace from God is everything that we need when we are unsure of what will happen. So as we live in a time after King Ahaz and after the Old Testament, we see God's ultimate promise fulfilled in Jesus. So put your faith always in the guaranteed promise of Jesus Christ. So what happens when we don't trust in God? What happens when we are given guaranteed grace, but we say no to it? Let us look at King Ahaz. Turning down God's grace means turning down, you know, his favor upon you. Distrusting God means that we turn down his opportunities for grace. In verse 10 to 13. So the first time Isaiah comes to King Ahaz, he says, don't worry, it shall not come to pass. These invasions will not succeed against you. If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And we know that King Ahaz uh, was very faithless, so Isaiah had to go back to King Ahaz again. And this is where we find ourselves in verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be, let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? This message, this passage, this story is about trusting in God. And here we see Ahaz giving, given all the opportunities to do so and turning it down. When we distrust God, we turn down his opportunities for grace. We separate ourselves from him and we become self-reliant, whether we know it or not, this is always the case. When we distrust God, we turn down his guaranteed grace. Ahaz, if you look in 2 Kings chapter 16, the chapter which is dedicated to King Ahaz, Ahaz is not accredited as being a faithful follower of God, and therefore he was a bad king. He did not trust God. So Isaiah sees King Ahaz again in verse 10 to 13, and invites Ahaz to trust God. And then a very special thing happens. God asks King Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. This is the only time in the entire Bible, the only time in the entire Bible where a human being is asked to name the sign that God will give as, as a guarantee of his promise. This is a very, very unique promise. It was given to a faithless king. So what does the faithless king do? King Ahaz says, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. In spite of the grace that God gave to Ahaz, not only to promise him deliverance from kings of the, the king of Syria and the king of Israel, he gave Ahaz a once in the whole universe opportunity to name the sign that will be a promise of God's deliverance, right? And Ahaz turns it down, and it is a refusal uh, and a distrust of God's nature. He thinks that he's going to be punished for naming the sign. He thinks, oh, I'm going to be testing God if I name the sign, so I'm not going to do it, no matter how gracious God is. He doesn't know that God is being graceful. He is skeptical of God. He is cynical of God. 
He will not rely on God, even though this is his second chance to do so. And he is given an amazing opportunity to do so, to name the sign, which has never been repeated before ever. So this is an incredible refusal, we see here, an incredible refusal of God's grace on King Ahaz's part. When we don't trust in God, honestly, we, believe, we behave a lot like King Ahaz, right? When we don't trust in God, we don't have fellowship with God, so we think that God is harsh, or we think that God wants something from us that we can't give, or we think that God is uh, just cruel and, and overbearing, right? When we don't trust God like King Ahaz, we don't want to partake in his grace. We don't think it's there. We don't think it's existent. Or maybe we think the situation, in this case for him, impending invasion, is too much. There's no way that the problem could be resolved. When we don't trust in God, we distort our view of God. It becomes untrue. And again, we deny his opportunity for guaranteed grace. Guaranteed grace. And we look to our own method to solve our problems instead of remaining in faith. And so the alternative is what? If we take God's grace, it transforms lives. It saves lives. Trusting God is the literal difference between life and death. If we learn anything from the Old Testament prophets, from the mistakes of the bad kings, and also the accomplishments of some of the good kings, we need to know that we need to trust God ultimately. To put our faith in Him. To not think that He is harsh. To not think that He has abandoned us. To not think that He is asking something from us that we cannot give, but to look at Him and know that He just gives us His favor and His unmerited grace, and for our case, through Jesus Christ, right? If we neglect this, we are turning away from life itself. And even still, even though distrusting God means turning down his opportunities of grace, which puts us in a bad situation for the long run, even still, in the face of rejection, God gives a sign to King Ahaz regardless. Here then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? In verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. So Isaiah is telling the faithless king Ahaz, fine, if you don't trust in God, God's going to give you the grace anyway, and we know that this prophecy will be fulfilled in Jesus, which is the ultimate grace, right? Fine, if you don't want to have it, God's going to give it to you anyway. The Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds of honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So here's a sequence of events. Ahaz refuses the offer to choose the sign that will be a guarantee of God's deliverance for the kingdom of Judah. He, he, he completely ignores it. And again, this is the only time in the whole Bible where someone is named as a sign. It's remarkable that he said no, right? But God gives one anyway in verse 14. It will be a birth of a child by a virgin. It is a miraculous event, peculiar, definitely special, definitely divine, definitely something that only God could manifest, right? And the child will be the sign of God's deliverance. The child manifests God's actual presence with his people as Emmanuel. He will eat curds of, of curds and honey, which is a royal diet. So this child will be miraculous and royal. He will be the king. And as soon as the child knows between right and wrong, which wouldn't take very long, the trouble will be over in verse 15 to 16. And yet Ahaz, again, he himself rejects this sign 
as well. And he has his fear of King Rezin and King Pekah. Um, he decides to make an alliance with the king of Syria. This is what the Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 16. So in the face of this prophecy, this miraculous prophecy, Ahaz still decides to take matters into his own hands. Isn't that incredible? In chapter 7, if you count it, if you read the whole chapter, Ahaz is given three chances to trust and put his faith in the Lord. The first one being very general, Isaiah going up and telling him, you know, trust in the Lord, or if you're not firm in faith, you won't be firm at all. The second one is name a sign then. Name a sign and then it will show that God is going to deliver you. And Ahaz rejects it. And then when God actually gives him the promise of this miraculous birth that only God can give, Ahaz rejects it anyway, forms an alliance with the king of Assyria, which ultimately ends up being an enemy for Judah and being a problem in the long run. When God has provided his grace, especially for us, as we know as Christians, through Jesus Christ, and not just when you become a Christian, but in your everyday life, when God has given you grace, will you trust him? A faithless King Ahaz was given three giant chances to do so, and he turned down every single one. And us in our life, yeah, we know we follow Jesus, and we know he sustains us, and we make it to the end by his grace and by the power of his spirit, but do we actually open ourselves up enough to God in the everyday to rely on him desperately the way that God wants us to? In my church, what I really appreciate about our brothers and sisters is that during prayer requests, um, often they'll say, oh, I, I, I want to pray uh, for, um, to be able to spend more time with God, which is a good prayer, right? Because ultimately they know that, you know, with the distractions of the world and uh, just the busyness of life and also the responsibilities that they have, the devotional life gets smaller and smaller and gets beaten down to almost nothing. That's denying God's grace. And I know it's hard. We have to make time for God. Jesus had to wake up early in the morning, run away from his disciples on a mountain to spend that time with God, but that shows his trust in God, and he's God himself. But for us, when we dwindle away from God, then our devotional life starts to get weak, and we get used to it, you know what we're really saying to God is that I actually don't need you. I know you saved me, I'm good, but I, I'm perfectly okay right now. Even though you might admit that you're not feeling good, even though you might admit that you need God, but ultimately our actions reflect what's really in here, which is a self-reliance and a distrust and getting used to relying on ourselves and getting used to saying no to God's grace in the everyday life. The last two weeks have been hard for our family just because of sickness, um, but even still, to be able to pray and rely on God on this one has been humbling because I realized how powerless I am again, which is always so much better than realizing that I think I need to do everything to make things perfect in the church or in my own life or in my marriage, you know? But there's grace for everything. There's grace for when I fail when I serve. There's grace for when I fail in my marriage. There's grace for all the things, and there's grace to give me strength and all those things. And that's what God is calling us to do. And yet, we behave so much like King Ahaz. When God gives us opportunities for grace through Jesus, to come in Him, to realize that He is gentle and lowly in heart, to abide in Him, to do all the things that Jesus calls us to do, not out of our own effort, but enjoying His presence, 
When we turn down those things, we're turning down the guaranteed grace, and it's so, so, so similar to how King Ahaz behaved. So the call for this morning, of course, is to, you know, look at this passage, and you're like, yes, God fulfills His promise, because we know 700 years later from Isaiah's time, Jesus was born, and we believe in the Savior, our Jesus, right, our King. But grace goes so much further than just that one event, right? It's in our every day, every single moment, God upholds us. He is our source of life. He is the breath in our lungs. By, the, by His Spirit, we move and we do, any, we do everything for the kingdom, not on our own effort, but by, through Him. So it's always a call to trust. So you look at this prophecy, this, this promise that He gave to a faithless King Ahaz, and you think, wow, God is a graceful God. He is a guaranteed graceful God. Even when King Ahaz said no, and for behalf of the nation he said no to God's promise, God still fulfilled the promise, still gave us Jesus, gives us grace in every single moment. God is absolutely, absolutely merciful and full of grace. Even after King Ahaz's rejection, God still moves. Your deliverance will come in the birth of this child. He will be called Emmanuel, basically, right? God with us. God guarantees that Ahaz's current problems won't ultimately matter and ultimately come to fruition. But to King Ahaz, it doesn't matter. So for us, are we going to be faithless like him and self-reliant like him? Or are we going to listen to God and trust his grace, trust his provisions, lean, on in, on, lean, lean in on him, dive into his word, hear good teachings, worship God, whatever the case may be, be reliant on God once again. In 2 Kings chapter 16, we know this is what happened. King Ahaz hears of the impending invasion from the king of Syria, Mr. King Rezin, and the king of Israel, Mr. King Pekah. And he decides to appeal not to the Lord his God and not to listen to the prophet Isaiah. And he appeals to the king of Assyria for help. And once Assyrian kings intimidate and basically invade Syria and, and, and Israel, the threat is nullified. But then King Ahaz, in his faithful, faithlessness, starts to worship the gods that the Assyrian kings were worshiping. In 2 Kings verse, uh, chapter 16, it also says that King Ahaz sacrificed his own son on an altar, a pagan altar. And then he brought all of the idols from Assyria brought them into the temple of the Lord. So you see how King Ahaz's faithlessness was not just saying no to God, but literally spiraling, spiraling into his utter destruction. The destruction of his soul and also the destruction of his nation. Because we know in Hezekiah's time, just uh, two kings or so after, the king of Assyria invaded Judah. So that's why it says in verse 17, the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Arrogance takes us down a very long rabbit hole and is something that God wants to save us from. As Christians, I'm not saying that you are like Ahaz, that you're renouncing your faith. But as Christians, we must learn from the situation that King Ahaz faced and see that God, even to a completely faithless person, still gave him all the opportunities 
to come and accept his grace. And then even when he failed, still provided the means by this miraculous virgin birth to give us Jesus Christ. It is amazing how God moved throughout history and how God moves in our own personal life. God is guaranteed grace. Always. Jesus is guaranteed grace. Our problems might not be resolved the way that we want it to, but you can guarantee that you will have joy and hope that outlasts this life through the guaranteed grace of trusting in Jesus, trusting in God's deliverance. We cannot be like King Ahaz when we fix our eyes too much on the problem and then turn into our own ways to figure it out, which ultimately leads to ruin instead of trusting in our Savior. Again, King Ahaz denied all the opportunities that were presented to him for deliverance. And again, verse 17 tells us that Isaiah already told him that the king of Assyria that he was planning to make an alliance with and eventually did make an alliance with will end up being an enemy. This lack of trust is always disastrous. Always. This lack of trust is always a warning for us. And this lack of trust that we've experienced in our own life always makes us miserable because we know that in God, the complete opposite happens. We might not have a quick resolution to our problems. We might not even see them fulfilled in this life, but you have a God of grace who cares for you, who is with you, who helps you to endure, who is Emmanuel, right? Who is with you, God with us. This is the promise. This is a wonderful message of the gospel given to a faithless person And this is hope for us to take refuge in our God who is graceful, to enjoy his presence, to enjoy the fact that he is a promise keeper and that he is with us. So while we trust the salvation that comes in God through Jesus Christ, not only for your eternal salvation, but in your day-to-day necessity. This is so, so important. I've gone through so many periods in my life where my devotional life was just terrible. And through God's grace, I see that he brings me back. And then through his grace again, I see that he sustains me in the everyday. So it's good to be honest about how we are at with God. But don't be like King Ahaz and reject all the opportunities of grace that God has given us. God's promise of deliverance of giving this miraculous child born of a virgin, this very famous passage. Remember the context for the rest of your life if you forgot about it, but I'm reminding you today. This passage about this miraculous virgin birth, the Messiah, the chosen one, was given in a context of faithlessness. That's the gospel. Jesus came down in a world who hated him. And yet in his mercy, I don't know why I'm smiling so much because I know God is so amazing and merciful. In his mercy, God still extends his hand for us to trust him. So trust him. Trust him more. Trust him more and more and more. Rely on him more and more and more. Be more and more dissatisfied about how miserable your life is without God. That's good. And be driven, right, not into whatever metaphorical king of Assyria you're trusting, but in God himself. Trust in him. He is so, so good and always, always there. And he is guaranteed grace. So as the next few weeks you guys enjoy uh, the Christmas season, I pray that uh, we will all be just so in awe of Christ that God 
foretold of his coming through the prophets hundreds of years before his coming and then actually fulfilled it and then actually Jesus lived and died on the cross and did all the things that he was supposed to do to give us guaranteed grace. The birth of Jesus is amazing because it brings into mind all the failures of the kings and the people of the Old Testament and still God fulfilling his promises to them and then to the, the whole entire earth. God is so, so amazing. So over the next few weeks, let's take joy in God who fulfills his promises. Take joy in God who gives us guaranteed grace in his son, Jesus. And let's draw closer to him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's hard to come to you when there are so many distractions, so many temptations, when there's so many responsibilities that we have, when there's so many fears when our own self-righteousness and self-reliance and pride always blind us from you. And even still, Lord God, in the power of your grace, you always draw us back to you because you are faithful. So Lord, I pray for everyone here who has put their firm trust in you but for their life, but has been feeling distant from you. Lord God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them to know that you give them guaranteed grace, that you are a God who fulfills promises. You are a God who calls us back to you. You are a God who restores and redeems and reconciles. And you are a God who is always with us. And I pray for everyone here who doesn't know you at all. I pray that your spirit would move in them so that you may give them hope, that you may lead them to repentance and faith in you, and so that they may experience a life that is full of your grace to go through every difficulty. Lord Jesus, we celebrate you this Christmas season. You are the promise that is fulfilled. You are the one who is with us. You are the one who gave your life for us. You sustain us in every circumstance. And so, Lord, I pray that everyone here may receive your rest this morning and be strengthened for the rest of their days spending their time with you and receiving grace in every opportunity that you give. We thank you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.